0: We are here on Palm Sunday and I just want to begin with a question for you and here's the question. How confident are you that you know without a doubt what God is really like? How confident are you that, that you know without a doubt what God is really like? So, so if, if someone's like, hey give me... I just need like one or two words to describe God. Like, what would you tell them? What words would come to your mind first? And that's actually a bit complicated. Um, And you've probably experienced this before. When you meet a new person, uh, we all instinctively read the person, right? We're kind of like... What's this person about? Like, are they for real? Like, what's their angle? Like, what motivates them? Like, we we all have a way of instinctively trying to understand people when we meet them. And the same is true when it comes to God. Like, when when we come to God, we want to understand who he is and what he's like. Um, This has happened to me multiple times where you meet somebody that you have multiple connections to. And all those people start telling you about this person. Like, oh, you need to meet so-and-so, da-da-da, They're da-da-da, right? And they, and they tell you about this person. And someone else says, oh, yeah, yeah, you've got to meet so-and-so, and there da-da-da. And so when you meet that person, right, you're, you have a filter of all the other things that you've heard about the person. And when you meet them, like, you're, you're shaking their hand, and you're, you're reading their facial expressions, and you're kind of like, I've heard all this stuff now. Is what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, is that like, is that what everyone else has said about this person? And now just think about that spiritually. How many sermons have you listened to? How many pastors have you heard how, how many preachers how, how many videos how, how many things have you taken in songs right that that, that you sung and it's like gives you a, a thing about God and if you had to just sort of take all that and be like what, what is he like if I had to boil it down to like one or two words what would I say about God your story probably affects that if you were raised in a, a rules heavy environment and you kind of always had a sense of like not measuring up, like, like an overly strict environment, you might be drawn especially to the mercy and grace of Christ, right? You're like, oh, man. I just love the mercy and grace. Or or you might have been in a in a chaotic free-for-all growing up. Like it's like just anything went and you could do whatever you wanted. And you might like the structure and the order of of the commands of Jesus, of like how to live life. And you're like, oh thank you. Like I needed some structure. Or you, you might have been deeply mistreated by those who should have been your protectors in life your most trusted ones. And there might be something in you that just longs for the justice of God, the retribution, heaven and hell and right and wrong, and God's going to settle it, right? Because it's your story. And so if we were to add up all the things we've heard and and. and all the things of our own bent and our own story, and we're to take that and be like, okay, if I had to just narrow it down to like one or two words, what would it be? Today, I want us to look at two passages, and the first is from Zechariah chapter 9, if you want to Turn there. I'm also going to have it on the screen. Some of you are like, where in the world is Zechariah? It is in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in at the triumphal entry. And Matthew's gospel quotes this verse saying, this was fulfilled on this day. And here's what it says. Zechariah 9 verse 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, he is righteous and victorious, humble in riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey, and as I was studying this week and preparing for this message, there was a word in there that just I just couldn't get over, and it was the word humble, humble. We're in a series called The Kingdom of Heaven, and we're talking about the kingdom of God that has come, and we've been looking at Jesus' words when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he was explaining in the parables that the realities of the kingdom that has come and the kingdom that is coming, and this moment on Palm Sunday is, is massive because it says in this verse, look, you're king, the king, Jesus has come, he's arrived, this this has this has been fulfilled. He's come riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. And I just put myself in the shoes of the people that were there. Just imagine on that Sunday when Jesus is coming in and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And there's this, this kind of scene where they're laying the branches and they're laying their clothing down on, on the pathway and Jesus is riding in on that donkey. And just imagine being a person who's just you know, nearby in town somewhere and you hear commotion and you're like, what's going on? right like what's what's happening there's there's a stir happening and, and someone's like he's here like jesus is here and and you've probably done this before in your life where it's like you build up in your mind like what you're about to experience i don't know if you've ever done that before like you you know you're about to see something or and so you have this anticipation and you're you're starting to imagine like what what, what am i about to walk into like what am i going to see and and you have this this idea of what you're going to walk into and see and and then you see Jesus on a little bitty donkey. I mean, just imagine that. I, I think it would be shockingly different than whatever you had in your mind. He's not on a, on a noble steed, right? He's not on a big war horse. Jesus has come on not just a donkey, it's like a little donkey, right? It's the cult of a donkey, it's, it's, a, it's a small donkey, and donkeys were already small, so I mean, that would be a little different. There's no saddle, it's just some guy's coat was like draped over the donkey, and he jumped on there, right? There's no military general surrounding him, it's just ex-fishermen and ex-tax collectors and an ex-prostitute around him, there's no proof of impeccable pedigree. There's no noble bloodline. He was born in Nazareth, which was like backwater, podunk, nowhere. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? It's the armpit of Israel, right? It's like, ugh. Oh. and Jesus of Nazareth is riding on a tiny little colt, and he was born, and there's and there's all these rumors about how he's born, like his... His parents were married, but it wasn't like his child. And, and they said it was a virgin birth, but we're not sure about all that kind of stuff. His dad was a carpenter, right? I imagine Jesus, who's probably been, been sleeping out in the, the hill country surrounding Jerusalem, is not like well coughed. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't have the polished appearance, right? He, he probably looks a little bit like dusty or something, right? Maybe, maybe the beard's not like in, in perfect condition like some of you guys have out here today, right? It's, he's looking a little less than, than polished. And he comes in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has come into Jerusalem and he's arrived on a tiny donkey and it says he's come in humbly, humbly. And it made me think of the only place that Jesus reveals his heart. And and this is the, this is the passage that if you were to put in two words, what is God like? This is what you should probably say. We find it in Matthew 11. If you want to turn to Matthew 11, I'm going to have it on the screen for you as well. And this is a famous passage, one of my favorite passages of Jesus. And here's what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, Because I am lowly and humble, or gentle and lowly, is what your translation might say, in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, the the title of the message is The Heart of the King. Because we talk about the king in the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom that's coming. We're talking about a a day when there will be Jesus on a noble steed on a war horse. And there will be a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. There's going to be heaven coming down. There's going to be judgment. It's That day will come. But here we have Jesus on Palm Sunday coming in humbly in revealing his heart. And the Jesus that's going to come at the end is the same Jesus who's telling us right now, here's who I am. And just so you know, when, when, the, when the ancients would talk about the heart, it wasn't just our feelings. Like, I just feel humble and I feel lowly. No, it's, it was the center of the being. It's what animated you. It was the you. The, the you that's you. It was the, the core. It's the, the most deepest, truest part of yourself is your heart. It's you. And Jesus says, look, here's me. Here's me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. In fact, the very first point is this, is that the heart of the king is gentle and lowly. Now think about what Jesus could have said. He could have said, I am pure and holy, and we would all say, yes, you are, amen. He he could have said, I am high and exalted, and we would say, yes, you are, King of kings and Lord of lords, right? He could have said, I am joyful and generous, and we would say, yes, you are, amen. But he reveals the, the very heart of the king is this, I'm gentle, and I'm lowly. That, that word gentle would, would be like mild, humble, or meek. Um, I, I found this quote. There's a book called Gentle and Lowly. If you have not heard of this book or read this book, it's by Dane Ortland. It is just a refreshing, refreshing book. I encourage you, a lot of what I'm gonna be speaking on today came from portions of this book, so wonderful. This was a quote from his book. Here's what he says about the the gentleness of Jesus. He says, Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms, The heart of the king is gentle. Gentleness or meekness would be the opposite of being self-assertive. It's the opposite of self-interest, and it stems from trust in God's goodness and control over every situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. And then this word lowly, in, in Zechariah 9, verses 9, he says that it, it's translated as humble or poor or lowly. And that word literally meant something that does not rise far from the ground. And we think of humility as a virtue of like, you know, you should be a humble person. But, but what the, the, the way that the Bible uses the word most, is that it's someone who's been pushed down by life's circumstances. You're literally like, you're unable to rise far from the ground because it's like you just had so many things that have happened in your life that have just pushed you down. That he's gentle and he's lowly. And these two words combined to show us one main thing about the heart of Jesus, and this is so beautiful, is that He's accessible. So the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whose heart is gentle and lowly, is accessible to people like me and people like you. On the About Me page of Jesus' website, it reads, gentle and lowly. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no prerequisites. Literally no one has ever been more approachable or accessible than Jesus. His embrace is not way out beyond us once we get things in order. He's gentle and he's lowly. I was thinking about how Jesus demonstrated this over and over again in his life. And and just the events surrounding Palm Sunday, if you were to back up a little bit in Matthew's gospel, he he has this interaction with the disciples and he says, look, the Gentiles like to lord it over one another. It's like everybody wants to get rank and put their thumb on somebody like, hey, you do this because I pay you to do this and I told you to do it. He says, it's not to be that way among you. We don't treat each other that way here. He says, rather, the greatest among you must be your servant because the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's teaching them the way of the kingdom, the way of the king is gentle and it's lowly. After this, He will wash his disciples' feet in the upper room. He's going to show them. He's going to model it for them. He's going to stoop down and wash their feet. He will prostrate himself in prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, and he will scream out, not my will, but yours be done. And he will bear the shame and the scorn of the cross. What we're going to talk about on Good Friday. Jesus over and over again demonstrated what he just revealed to us about his heart. That he's gentle and he's lowly. The second thing is this. The heart of the king is what attracts us to him most. The heart of the king is what attracts us to him most. I uh, read this week about a a lecture, a sermon, that Jonathan Edwards gave to the children in his church. Now, just so you know, Jonathan Edwards was one of the most uh, incredible theologians that has probably ever come out of America, okay? He was instrumental in the, um, the great Um, the the Great Awakening. There's a a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Did you know that was the tipping point of the Great Awakening in America was a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was given by Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, gave that sermon to his church, and they slept through it. And then he went back to a big conference, and he's like, I'm going to give it again. And it's like, boom, the Spirit of God came, and it was amazing. So this guy, Sinners in the hands of an angry God guy is writing a children's message for the, you know, whatever kiddos are in his church body. And he's trying to give them six reasons why they should love the Lord Jesus more than anything in the world. And here was the first one. I think I have a slide for this in the back so you guys can read it. Here's what he says: There was no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. He, he's one that delights in mercy. He is ready to pity those that are in suffering in sorrowful circumstances. One that delights in the happiness of his creatures. The love and grace that Christ has manifested does as much exceed all that which is in this world as the sun is brighter than a candle. And I like this. He's looking at these kids, he's like, now parents are often full of kindness towards their children, but that is no kindness like Jesus Christ. Meaning, look, your parents love you, they're doing their best, but guess what? What they're doing is nothing in comparison to the love and the mercy that is in the heart of Jesus. And here's why I think you should love Jesus more than anything in the world, because you've never known a love like his before. His heart, is gentle and lowly. It's what attracts us to Him most. We are not coerced into the kingdom. We are not controlled into the kingdom. We are not arm twisted into the kingdom. We are not argued into the kingdom. We are drawn and we are wooed by the merciful, gracious heart. Jesus, Romans 2.4, Paul says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. (laughs) In in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortlund says, seeing God's greatness is not our deepest need, but seeing his goodness. And many of you could probably tell me stories of, of a moment in your life that probably absolutely melted your heart where you saw for the very first time the goodness of God and the mercy of Jesus, when it was just like, oh, I understand now. That's what attracts us to him most. And, you know, we desperately need truth. We desperately need sound teaching. We desperately need sound doctrine in our age. Absolutely, amen, okay? But if ever we divorce the word of the king from the heart of the king, we have stopped being sound. Does that make sense? The word of the king is often hard to receive, but the heart of the king is like, oh, rest for the soul. We need both. I I mentioned last week that It wasn't the good works of the kingdom that got 11 of the 12 disciples martyred. It was the words of the kingdom, right? It was their proclaiming the truth. But what in the world would motivate someone to stick their neck out like that if they had not seen the heart of Jesus? The ones that were around him most closely were the ones that would go to the the furthest degree just to serve him, to do whatever it was to serve Jesus because they had experienced his heart. That's what attracts us to him most. The third thing, the heart of the king moves towards the weary and the burden. And this is what we saw in Matthew 11. It, It begins with this invitation. Come to me, all of you, who are weary in burden. Now, that word weary are, are those who have, um, they've brought the grief upon themselves, right? They've, they've labored, they, they're striving, they're, they've, they've just they've worn themselves out. They've, they've worked really hard. They're trying to bring their life into smoothness, okay? But that second word burdened are those who've had things that are beyond their control, weigh them down and crush them. And your life is probably a mix of both, right? There there are ways that you've kind of worn yourself out, right? And there are things that have happened to you, and it's like, that's that's beyond my control. Weary and burdened. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way today. On the About Me page of our website, (laughs) it might read, weary and burdened. And the spirit of our age is a spirit of busyness. It's a spirit of weariness. Everyone's working so hard, right? We we were told that technology was going to make our life easier. We could microwave our food. Our phones would do everything for us. Siri was going to take care of it, right? And then we're still more, more stressed out than ever, weary and burdened. And here's the thing. It's that the king's heart moves towards you in your weariness and your burdensome. It, it, it's, it's, there's no, um, there's no, I have to go get unwearied and unburdened so that I can meet with God now. Does that make sense? He's saying, you no, know, no. in the middle of being weary and burdened, come to me now. Like, don't figure it out and then come to me. Like, right now, in the middle of it, come to me. We don't have to figure it out first. He he says he will give us rest. You don't have to figure out a more restful pattern for your life and then, oh, I'll finally be there. It's like, no, no. He said, come to me in the middle of being weary and burdened, right? And I'm going to give it to you and it's a rest of the soul. It's, It's an inner rest. Now, our bodies do get tired, okay? It happens, right? Hello? I'm getting a little bit older now. I feel it. The body gets tired. Jesus is talking about something on the inside of us that will be at rest because we've come to him with our weariness and our burdens, and he uses irony he talks about a yoke. Now, if you are uh, kind of old school, if you have some farmer background in your history, you probably know what a yoke is. If you've ever eaten a Cracker Barrel, anybody ever eaten a Cracker Barrel before? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They just gave me uh, $20 for mentioning their name in a sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The reason I mention it is that because they have all the farm equipment hanging on the walls. And if you want to go see a yoke, you probably just go to Cracker Barrel and you'll find one, okay? It's that, that big kind of wooden piece that would connect two oxen together or two cows together. And, and the point was that you could drive them and they're going to pull something that like a piece of farm equipment. It's going to, you know, you know, till up the soil for you. And so Jesus says, Look, take my yoke upon you. Right? And he talks about this yoke that is easy. And that word easy is also translated as this kind. My yoke is kind. It's, it's easy. And the point is that this it's a non-yoke. He's using irony. It's not even a yoke. The the Ancient Jewish people of this time also talked about yoke as an obligation to God. And so there, there would be different obligations that you would have to God. And, and if you were following a certain rabbi, they would have a yoke. And it was like, if you're going to be my pupil, here are the obligations to God that you have to follow my, my teaching. And Jesus says, look, I'm the rabbi. I'm, I'm the capital T teacher. And, and here's the yoke. It's not a yoke. It's kind. It's kind. It's pleasant. It's gracious. It's a non-yoke. I've not come to weigh you down with more obligations. He talks about a burden that is light. And again, he's using irony. It's like it's it's the load that is weightless. Have you ever lifted weights before? I don't know if you've ever done that before. You've lifted something heavy, maybe, or you lifted weights. And then, like, after lifting heavy weights, you pick up, like, a water bottle, and you're like, whoa. Like, it's just so light to you because you're so used to having, you know, lifting this heavy weight that when you, when you pick up something that's, that's almost weightless, it's just like, wow, it's so light. And Jesus is saying, look, when you come to me, it's like this. It's like, you're so used to just pulling everything forward and trying to push and strive, and I'm going to give you a load that's, that's a non-load, weightless his yoke is easy and his burden is light and, and, and here's the cool thing is he's not like mad at you for being weary and burdened and be like you guys are such idiots why are you weary and burdened no no, no. he's not scorning us He doesn't roll his eyes at our weaknesses. He doesn't reject us in our struggles or in our sins. His heart moves towards us and his arms open to us and his voice says, come, come. So the heart of the king is gentle and lowly. It's what attracts us to him most. It moves towards the weary and burdened. So what does it mean for us today? Like, what do we do with this? Well, the first is this. We must take Jesus at his own words. Do you know what what God is like? Without a doubt, could you tell somebody what God is like? Here's what you could say. If you want to honor Jesus and honor his word, here's what you would say. God is gentle and lowly. That's what that's what he's like. He's kind. He's meek. He welcomes. He's accessible. He's gentle, and he's lowly. And, and any notion that we have about him that doesn't include this must be corrected. Did you know that every heresy that's ever come out of the church over history is typically not just an outright like non biblical claim. It's typically an imbalance. We we weigh one thing so heavily, and we don't give weight to another thing. And, and, And when we come to the characteristics of Jesus and knowing what he's like, we have to always have this in the picture, in the balance. He's gentle, and he's lowly, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's high, and he's exalted, and he's coming in power, and all those things are true, but if we miss the fact that he's gentle and lowly, we've missed it, and we are off balance. So we have to take him at his own word. We have to let Jesus rebalance us. We need the gentle and lowly heart to get us right back on center with who he actually is. And there may be a step for us today where you have some false ideas about Jesus and it has nothing to do with his word. It has to do with your story and your past and whatever you grew up in or or whatever you've heard, whatever you were taught, and it wasn't this. And you might need to say, Lord Jesus, I repent, which means I change my mind about who you are. I let go of this false belief that you were harsh and and that you were were gonna reject me at any moment or or that you were set against me or that you were always angry with me. Like, I reject that, I, I renounce that, I repent of that, God, and I receive the truth about who you said you are. I'm taking you at your word. The second thing, as I believe it calls us, and this is so beautiful, come to him. What could stop you? What could stop you from coming to the one who is so accessible, who is gentle and lowly? The only thing that could stop us is our own self-sufficiency or our own self-righteousness or our own self-reliance. Because the, the, the bar for entrance to coming to Jesus is simply this, to say, I need you. I open myself up to you. I come to you. It, it means that we can stop pretending that everything is okay and be honest. Like, really, I'm weary and burdened, God. God. We can bring it to him. He's opened himself to you. His invitation stands. And so if what you're carrying is harsh or heavy, then consider today that maybe it's not the yoke of Jesus. Come to him. And lastly, it's this. To live from the inner rest that Jesus gives There was a verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, many of you know this verse by heart. It says that we are Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Have y'all heard that verse before? Yeah, most of you have heard that verse before? We are Christ ambassadors. And um, that, um, by the way, that word ambassador is a kingdom word. Because an ambassador represents one kingdom to another kingdom. And Jesus says, look, I want you to be people of the kingdom, and you're going to represent the kingdom of God to the, to the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world, right? You're going to be an ambassador. But I always heard that verse as sort of like a heavy yoke of like, you better get out there and start evangelizing everybody you know, and if they, you know, you better go tell them because you're his ambassador, right? It's on you, man. If you don't do it, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? It was just felt like this, almost like this pressure, like a high pressure thing. And and as I was thinking about that verse and living from the rest that he gives, to represent the kingdom of God is to reflect the heart of the king. And so it's to go to a weary and burdened world as someone who's living from rest. And they say, Why aren't you stressed out? And you're like, Jesus. It's Jesus, I'm representing the heart of Jesus to the world around me. It's the rest of forgiveness, fully forgiven. It's not having to fix yourself up to be welcomed by Jesus. That's restful. It's the rest of laying down heavy burdens of religion or legalism. It's the rest of not having to prove your worth or your value anymore. Because Jesus has given you worth and value because he laid down his life for you. It's the rest of being loved and accepted by the like the highest being in the universe that's restful. And I think we're called to live from the rest that he gives. And when you truly experience the yoke that's a non-yoke and the burden that is a non-burden, guess what? You're probably more likely to tell people about it rather than feeling like, the church is making me go share the gospel with people, what am I gonna do? Right? It's not a heavy yoke. It's just living from the rest that comes from the heart of the king. The kingdom flows from the heart of the king. It's his culture. It's a culture of being gentle and lowly. So let me close with this. How confident are you that you know without a doubt what God is really like? May you find confidence in Jesus' description of his very own heart. And more than that, may we come to him and may we experience his heart. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.